Section 5 of Psychopathology of Everyday Life. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Psychopathology of Everyday Life by Sigmund Freud. Translated by A. A. Brill. Read by Mary Schneider. Chapter 5 Mistakes in Speech. Although the ordinary material of speech of our mother tongue seems to be guarded against forgetting, its application, however, more often succumbs to another disturbance which is familiar to us as slips of the tongue. What we observe in normal persons as slips of the tongue gives the same impression as the first step of the so-called paraphasias, which manifest themselves under pathological conditions. I am in the exceptional position of being about to refer to a previous work on the subject. In the year 1895, Meringer and C. Meyer published a study on mistakes in speech and reading, with whose viewpoints I do not agree. One of the authors, who is the spokesman in the text, is a philologist actuated by a linguistic interest to examine the rules governing those slips. He hoped to deduce from these rules the existence, quote, of a definite psychic mechanism whereby the sounds of a word of a sentence and even the words themselves would be associated and connected with one another in a quite peculiar manner the authors grouped the examples of speech mistakes collected by them first according to purely descriptive viewpoints such as interchangings for example milo of venus instead of venus of milo as anticipations for example, the shoes made her sore, instead of the shoes made her feet sore, as echoes and postpositions, as contaminations, for example, I will soon him home, instead of I will soon go home and will see him, and substitutions, for example, he entrusted his money to a savings crank, instead of a savings bank. Besides these principal categories, there are some others of lesser importance or of lesser significance for our purpose. In this grouping, it makes no difference whether the transposition, disfigurement, fusion, etc., affects single sounds of the word or syllable, or whole words of the concerned sentence. To explain the various forms of mistakes in speech, Meringer assumes a varied psychic value of phonetics. As soon as the innervation affects the first syllable of a word, or the first word of a sentence, the stimulating process immediately strikes the succeeding sounds and the following words, and in so far as these innervations are synchronous, they may affect some changes in one another. The stimulus of the psychically more intensive sound rings before or continues echoing, and thus disturbs the less important process of innervation. It is necessary, therefore, to determine which are the most important sounds of a word. Meringer states, if one wishes to know which sound of a word possesses the greatest intensity, he should examine himself while searching for a forgotten word, for example a name. That which first returns to consciousness invariably has the greatest intensity prior to the forgetting. Thus the most important sounds are the initial sound of the root syllable and the initial sound of the word itself, as well as one or another of the accentuated vowels." End quote. Here I cannot help voicing contradiction, whether or not the initial sound of the name belongs to the most important elements of the word. It is surely not true that in the case of the forgetting of the word, it first returns to consciousness. The above rule is therefore of no use. 
when we observe ourselves during the search for a forgotten name we are comparatively often forced to express the opinion that it begins with a certain letter this conviction proves to be as often unfounded as founded indeed i would even go so far as to assert that in the majority of cases one reproduces a false initial sound also in our example signorelli the substitutive name lacked the initial sound and the principal syllables were lost on the other hand the less important pair of syllables elli returned to consciousness in the substitutive name botticelli how little substitutive names respect the initial sound of the lost names may be learned from the following case one day i found it impossible to recall the name of the small country whose capital is monte carlo the substitutive names were as follows piedmont albania montevideo calico in place of albania montenegro soon appeared and then it struck me that the syllable mont occurred in all but the last of the substitutive names it thus became easy for me to find from the name of prince albert the forgotten name monaco calico practically imitates the syllabic sequence and rhythm of the forgotten word if we admit the conjecture that a mechanism similar to that pointed out in the forgetting of names may also play a part in the phenomena of speech blunders we are then led to a better founded judgment of cases of speech blunders the speech disturbance which manifests itself as a speech blunder may in the first place be caused by the influence of another component of the same speech that is through a foresound or an echo or through another meaning within the sentence or context which differs from that which the speaker wishes to utter in the second place however the disturbance could be brought about analogously to the process in the case of signorelli through influences outside the word sentence or context from elements which we did not intend to express and of whose incitement we became conscious only through the disturbance in both modes of origin of the mistaken speech the common element lies in the simultaneity of the stimulus while the differentiating elements lie in the arrangement within or without the same sentence or context the difference does not at first appear as wide as when it is taken into consideration in certain conclusions drawn from the symptomatology of speech mistakes it is clear however that only in the first case is there a prospect of drawing conclusions from the manifestations of speech blunders concerning a mechanism which connects together sounds and words for the reciprocal influence of their articulation that is conclusions such as the philologist hopes to gain from the study of speech blunders in the case of disturbance through influence outside of the same sentence or context it would before all be a question of becoming acquainted with the disturbing elements and then the question would arise whether the mechanism of this disturbance cannot also suggest the probable laws of the formation of speech we cannot maintain that meringer and meyer have overlooked the possibility of speech disturbance through complicated psychic influences that is through elements outside the same word or sentence or the same sequence of words indeed they must have observed that the theory of the psychic variation of sounds applies strictly speaking only to the explanation of sound disturbance as well as to foresounds and aftersounds 
when the word disturbances cannot be reduced to sound disturbances as for example in the substitutions and contaminations of words they too have without hesitation sought the cause of the mistake in speech outside of the intended context and proved this state of affairs by means of fitting examples according to the author's own understanding it is some similarity between a certain word in the intended sentence and some other not intended which allows the latter to assert itself in consciousness by causing a disfigurement or a compromise formation contamination now in my work on the interpretation of dreams i have shown the part played by the process of condensation in the origin of the so-called manifest contents of the dream from the latent thoughts of the dream any similarity of objects or of word presentations between two elements of the unconscious material is taken as a cause for the formation of a third which is a composite or compromise formation this element represents both components in the dream content and in view of this origin it is frequently endowed with numerous contradictory individual determinants the formation of substitutions and contaminations in speech mistakes is therefore the beginning of that work of condensation which we find taking a most active part in the construction of the dream in a small essay destined for the general reader meringer advanced a theory of very practical significance for certain cases of interchanging of words especially for such cases where one word is substituted by another of opposite meaning he says we may still recall the manner in which the president of the austrian house of deputies opened the session some time ago honored sirs i announce the presence of so-and-so many gentlemen and therefore declare the session is closed the general merriment first attracted his attention and he corrected his mistake in the present case the probable explanation is that the president wished himself in a position to close this session from which he had little good to expect and the thought broke through at least partially a frequent manifestation resulting in his use of closed in place of opened that is the opposite of the statement intended numerous observations have taught me however that we frequently interchange contrasting words they are always associated in our speech consciousness they lie very close together and are easily incorrectly evoked still not in all cases of contrast substitution is it so simple as in the example of the president as to appear plausible that the speech mistake occurs merely as a contradiction which arises in the inner thought of the speaker opposing the sentence uttered we have found the analogous mechanism in the analysis of the example aliquis there the inner contradiction asserts itself in the form of forgetting a word instead of a substitution through its opposite but in order to adjust the difference we may remark that the little word aliquis is incapable of a contrast similar to closing and opening and that the word opening cannot be subject to forgetting on account of its being a common component of speech having been shown by the last examples of meringer and meyer that speech disturbance may be caused through the influence of four sounds after sounds words from the same sentence that were intended for expression as well as through the effect of words outside the sentence intended the stimulus of which would otherwise not have been suspected we shall next wish to discover whether we can definitely separate the two classes of mistakes in speech and how we can distinguish the example of the one from a case of the other class 
but at this stage of the discussion we must also think of the assertions of Wundt, who deals with the manifestations of speech mistakes in his recent work on the development of language. Psychic influences, according to Wundt, never lack in these as well as in other phenomena related to them. Quote, the uninhibited stream of sound and word associations stimulated by spoken sounds belongs here in the first place as a positive determinant. This is supported as a negative factor by the relaxation or suppression of the influences of the will which inhibit this stream, and by the active attention which is here a function of volition. Whether that play of association manifests itself in the fact that a coming sound is anticipated or a preceding sound reproduced, or whether a familiar practiced sound becomes intercalated between others, or finally whether it manifests itself in the fact that altogether different sounds associatively related to the spoken sounds act upon these, all these questions designate only differences in the direction, and at most in the play of the occurring associations, but not in the general nature of the same. In some cases it may be also doubtful to which form a certain disturbance may be attributed, or whether it would not be more correct to refer such disturbance to a concurrence of many motives following the principle of the complication of causes." End quote. I consider these observations of want as absolutely justified and very instructive. Perhaps we could emphasize with even greater firmness than want that the positive factor favoring mistakes in speech, the uninhibited stream of associations, and its negative the relaxation of the inhibiting attention, regularly attain synchronous action, so that both factors become only different determinants of the same process. With the relaxation, or more unequivocally expressed through this relaxation, of the inhibiting attention, the uninhibited stream of associations becomes active. Among the examples of the mistakes in speech collected by me, I can scarcely find one in which I would be obliged to attribute the speech disturbance simply and solely to what Wundt calls contact effect of sound. Almost invariably I discover besides this a disturbing influence of something outside the intended speech. The disturbing element is either a single unconscious thought, which comes to light through the speech blunder, and can only be brought to consciousness through a searching analysis, or it is a more general psychic motive which directs itself against the entire speech. Example A seeing my daughter make an unpleasant face while biting into an apple i wish to quote the following couplet the ap is a funny sight when in the apple he does bite but i began with the apple which seems to be a contamination of ape and apple compromise formation or it may be also conceived as an anticipation of the prepared apple the true state of affairs however was this I began the quotation once before, and made no mistake the first time. I made the mistake only during the repetition which was necessary, because my daughter, having been distracted from another side, did not listen to me. This repetition, with the added impatience to disburden myself of the sentence, I must include in the motivation of the speech blunder, which represented itself as a function of condensation. B. My daughter said I wrote to Mrs. Schressinger. The woman's name was Schlesinger. This speech blunder may depend on the tendency to facilitate articulation. 
i must state however that this mistake was made by my daughter a few moments after i had said apel instead of ape mistakes in speech are in a great measure contagious a similar peculiarity was noticed by Meringer and Meyer in the forgetting of names. I know of no reason for this psychic contagiousness. C. I sat up like a pocket-knife, said a patient in the beginning of treatment, instead of I shut up. This suggests a difficulty of articulation which may serve as an excuse for the interchanging of sounds. When her attention was called to the speech blunder, she promptly replied, Yes, that happened because you said earnest instead of earnest. As a matter of fact, I received her with the remark, Today we shall be in earnest, because it was the last hour before her discharge from treatment, and I jokingly changed the word into earnest. In the course of the hour she repeatedly made mistakes in speech, and I finally observed that it was not only because she imitated me, but because she had a special reason in her unconscious to linger at the word earnest, ernst as a name. D. A woman, speaking about a game invented by her children and called by them the man in the box, said the manx in the box. I could readily understand her mistake. It was while analyzing her dream, in which her husband is depicted as very generous in money matters, just the reverse of reality, that she made this speech blunder. The day before she had asked for a new set of furs which her husband denied her, claiming that he could not afford to spend so much money. She upbraided him for his stinginess, for putting away so much into the strong box, and mentioned a friend whose husband has not nearly his income, and yet he presented his wife with a mink coat for her birthday. The mistake is now comprehensible. The word manx refers to the minx which she longs for, and the box refers to her husband's stinginess. E. A similar mechanism is shown in the mistake of another patient, whose memory deserted her, in the midst of a long-forgotten childish reminiscence. Her memory failed to inform her on what part of the body the prying and lustful hand of another had touched her. Soon thereafter she visited one of her friends, with whom she discussed summer homes. Asked where her cottage in M was located, she answered, near the mountain loin, instead of the mountain lane. F another patient whom i asked at the end of her visit how her uncle was answered i don't know i only see him now in flagranti the following day she said i am really ashamed of myself for having given you yesterday such a stupid answer naturally you must have thought me a very uneducated person who always mistakes the meaning of foreign words i wish to say en passant we did not know at the time where she got the incorrectly used foreign words, but during the same session she reproduced a reminiscence as a continuation of the theme from the previous day, in which being caught in flagranti played the principal part. The mistake of the previous day had therefore anticipated the recollection, which at that time had not yet become conscious. G. In discussing her summer plans, a patient said, I shall remain most of the summer in Elberlon. She noted her mistake and asked me to analyze it. The associations to Elberlon elicited seashore on the Jersey coast, summer resort, vacation traveling. This recalled traveling in Europe with her cousin, a topic which we had discussed the day before during the analysis of a dream. The dream dealt with her dislike for this cousin, and she admitted that it was mainly due to the fact that the latter was the favorite of the man whom they met together while traveling abroad. 
During the dream analysis, she could not recall the name of the city in which they met this man, and I did not make any effort at the time to bring it to her consciousness, as we were engrossed in a totally different problem. When asked to focus her attention again on Elberlon and reproduce her associations, she said, It brings to mind Elba, Lawn, Lawn, Field, and Elberfield. Elberfeld was the lost name of the city in Germany. Here the mistake served to bring to consciousness, in a concealed manner, a memory which was connected with a painful feeling. H. A woman said to me, if you wish to buy a carpet, go to Merchants in Matthew Street. I repeated, then at Matthews, I mean at Merchants. It would seem that my repeating of one name in place of the other was simply the result of distraction. The woman's remark really did distract me, as she turned my attention to something else much more vital to me than carpet. In Matthew Street stands the house in which my wife lived as a bride. The entrance to the house was in another street, and now I noticed that I had forgotten its name and could only recall it through a roundabout method. The name Matthew, which kept my attention, is thus a substitutive name for the forgotten name of the street. It is more suitable than the name Merchant, for Matthew is exclusively the name of a person, while Merchant is not. The forgotten street, too, bears the name of a person. I. A patient consulted me for the first time, and from her history it became apparent that the cause of her nervousness was largely an unhappy married life. Without any encouragement she went into details about her marital troubles. She had not lived with her husband for about six months, and she saw him last at the theater when she saw the play Officer 606. I called her attention to the mistake and she immediately corrected herself, saying that she meant to say Officer 666, the name of a recent popular play. I decided to find out the reason for the mistake, and as the patient came to me for analytic treatment, I discovered that the immediate cause of the rupture between herself and her husband was the disease which is treated by 606. K. Before calling on me, a patient telephoned for an appointment, and also wished to be informed about my consultation fee. He was told that the first consultation was $10. After the examination was over, he again asked what he was to pay, and added, I don't like to owe money to anyone, especially to doctors. I prefer to pay right away. Instead of pay, he said play. His last voluntary remarks and his mistake put me on guard but after a few more uncalled-for remarks, he set me at ease by taking money from his pocket. He counted four paper dollars and was very chagrined and surprised because he had no more money with him, and promised to send me a check for the balance. I was sure that his mistake betrayed him, that he was only playing with me, but there was nothing to be done. At the end of a few weeks I sent him a bill for the balance, and the letter was returned to me by the post office authorities marked not found. L. Miss X spoke very warmly of Mr. Y, which was rather strange, as before this she had always expressed her indifference, not to say her contempt for him. On being asked about this sudden change of heart, she said I really never had anything against him. He was always nice to me, but I never gave him the chance to cultivate my acquaintance. She said, cultivate. This neologism was a contamination of cultivate and captivate, and foretold the coming betrothal. M. 
an illustration of the mechanisms of contamination and condensation will be found in the following lapsus linguae speaking of miss z miss w depicted her as a very straight-laced person who was not given to levities etc miss x thereupon remarked yes that is a very characteristic description she always appealed to me as very straight-braised here the mistake resolved itself into straight-laced and brazen-faced which correspond to miss w's opinion of miss z n i shall quote a number of examples from a paper by my colleague dr steckel which appeared in the berlin tageblatt in january nineteen o four entitled unconscious confessions an unpleasant trick of my unpleasant thoughts was revealed by the following example to begin with i may state that in my capacity as a physician i never consider my remuneration but always keep in view the patient's interest only this goes without saying i was visiting a patient who was convalescing from a serious illness we had passed through hard days and nights i was happy to find her improved and i portrayed to her the pleasures of a sojourn to abasia concluding with if as i hope you will not soon leave your bed this obviously came from an unconscious selfish motive to be able to continue treating this wealthy patient a wish which is entirely foreign to my waking consciousness and which i would reject with indignation oh another example from dr steckel my wife engaged a french governess for the afternoons and later coming to a satisfactory agreement wished to retain her testimonials the governess begged to be allowed to keep them saying je cherche encore pour les après-midi pardon pour les avant-midi she apparently intended to seek another place which would perhaps offer more profitable arrangements an intention which she carried out p i was to give a lecture to a woman her husband upon whose request this was done stood behind the door listening at the end of my sermonizing which had made a visible impression i said good-bye sir to the experienced person i thus betrayed the fact that the words were directed toward the husband that i had spoken to oblige him q dr steckel reports about himself that he had under treatment at the same time two patients from trieste each of whom he always addressed incorrectly good morning mr poloni he would say to ascoli and to poloni good morning mr ascoli he was at first inclined to attribute no deeper motive to this mistake but to explain it through a number of similarities in both persons however he easily convinced himself that there the interchange of names bespoke a sort of boast that is he was acquainting each of his italian patients with the fact that neither was the only resident of trieste who came to vienna in search of his medical advice R two women stopped in front of a drug store and one said to her companion if you will wait a few moments i'll soon be back but she said movements instead she was on her way to buy some castoria for her child s mr l who was fonder of being called on than of calling spoke to me through the telephone from a nearby summer resort he wanted to know when I could pay him a visit. I reminded him that it was his turn to visit me, and called his attention to the fact that as he was the happy possessor of an automobile, it would be easier for him to call on me. We were at different summer resorts, separated by almost one half hour's railway trip. 
he gladly promised to call and asked how about labor day september first will it be convenient for you when i answered affirmatively he said very well then put me down for election day november his mistake was quite plain he likes to visit me but it was inconvenient to travel so far in november we would both be in the city my analysis proved correct t a friend described to me a nervous patient and wished to know whether i could benefit him i remarked i believe that in time i can remove all his symptoms by psychoanalysis because it is a durable case wishing to say curable you i repeatedly addressed my patient as mrs smith her married daughter's name when her real name is mrs james my attention having been called to it i soon discovered that i had another patient of the same name who refused to pay for the treatment mrs smith was also my patient and paid her bills promptly v a lapsus lingue sometimes stands for a particular characteristic a young woman who is the domineering spirit in her home said of her ailing husband that he had consulted the doctor about a wholesome diet for himself and then added the doctor said that diet has nothing to do with his ailments and that he can eat and drink what i want w i cannot omit this excellent and instructive example although according to my authority it is about twenty years old a lady once expressed herself in society the very words show that they were uttered with fervor and under the pressure of a great many secret emotions yes a woman must be pretty if she is to please the men a man is much better off as long as he has five straight limbs he needs no more this example affords us a good insight into the intimate mechanisms of a mistake in speech by means of condensation and contamination it is quite obvious that we have here a fusion of two similar modes of expression as long as he has four straight limbs or as long as he has five senses or the term straight may be the common element of the two intended expressions as long as he has straight limbs all five should be straight it may also be assumed that both modes of expression those of the five senses and those of the straight five have cooperated to introduce into the sentence about the straight limbs first a number and then the mysterious five instead of the simple four but this fusion surely would not have succeeded if it had not expressed good sense in the form resulting from the mistake if it had not expressed a cynical truth which naturally could not be uttered unconcealed coming as it did from a woman finally we shall not hesitate to call attention to the fact that the woman's saying following its wording could just as well be an excellent witticism as a jocose speech blunder it is simply a question whether she uttered these words with conscious or unconscious intention the behavior of the speaker in the case certainly speaks against the conscious intention and thus excludes wit x owing to similarity of material i add here another case of speech blunder the interpretation of which requires less skill a professor of anatomy strove to explain the nostril which as is known is a very difficult anatomical structure to his question whether his audience grasped his ideas he received an affirmative reply the professor known for his self-esteem thereupon remarked i can hardly believe this for the number of people who understand the nostril even in a city of millions like vienna can be counted on a finger 
pardon me, I meant to say the fingers of a hand. Why? I am indebted to Dr. Alf Robitsek of Vienna for calling my attention to two speech blunders from an old French author, which I shall reproduce in the original. There follows a rather lengthy story in French. In the psychotherapeutic procedure which I employ in the solution and removal of neurotic symptoms, I am often confronted with the task of discovering from the accidental utterances and fancies of the patient the thought contents which, though striving for concealment, nevertheless unintentionally betray themselves. In doing this, the mistakes often perform the most valuable service, as I can show through most convincing and still most singular examples. For example, patients speak of an aunt, and later, without noting the mistake, call her my mother or designate a husband as a brother. In this way, they attract my attention to the fact that they have identified these persons with each other, that they have placed them in the same category, which for their emotional life signifies the recurrence of the same type. Or a young man of twenty years presents himself during my office hours with these words, I am the father of N. N. whom you have treated. Pardon me, I mean the brother. Why, he is four years older than I. I understand through this mistake that he wishes to express that like the brother he too is ill through the fault of the father. Like his brother he wishes to be cured, but that the father is the one most in need of treatment. At other times an unusual arrangement of words or a forced expression is sufficient to disclose in the speech of the patient the participation of a repressed thought having a different motive. Hence, of course, as well as in finer speech disturbances, which may nevertheless be subsumed as speech blunders, I find that it is not the contact effects of the sound, but the thoughts outside the intended speech, which determine the origin of the speech blunder and also suffice to explain the newly formed mistakes in speech. I do not doubt the laws whereby the sounds produce changes upon one another, but they alone do not appear to me sufficiently forcible to mar the correct execution of speech. In those cases which I have studied and investigated more closely, they merely represent the performed mechanism, which is conveniently utilized by a more remote psychic motive. The latter does not, however, form a part of the sphere of influence of these sound relations. In a large number of substitutions caused by mistakes in talking, there is an entire absence of such phonetic laws. In this respect, I am in full accord with Wundt, who likewise assumes that the conditions underlying speech blunders are complex and go far beyond the contact effects of the sounds. If I accept as certain these more remote psychic influences following a once expression, there is still nothing to detain me from conceding also that in accelerated speech, with a certain amount of diverted attention, the causes of speech blunder may be easily limited to the definite law of Meringer and Meyer. However, in a number of examples gathered by these authors, a more complicated solution is quite apparent. In some forms of speech blunders, we may assume that the disturbing factor is the result of striking against obscene words and meanings, the purposive disfigurement and distortion of words and phrases, which is so popular with vulgar persons, aims at nothing else but the employing of a harmless motive as a reminder of the obscene, and this sport is so frequent that it would not be at all remarkable if it appeared unintentionally and contrary to the will. 
I trust that the readers will not depreciate the value of these interpretations for which there is no proof, and of these examples which I have myself collected and explained by means of analysis. But if secretly I still cherish the expectation that even the apparent simple cases of speech blunder will be traced to a disturbance caused by a half-repressed idea outside of the intended context, I am tempted to it by a noteworthy observation of Meringer. This author asserts that it is remarkable that nobody wishes to admit having made a mistake in speaking. There are many intelligent and honest people who are offended if we tell them that they made a mistake in speaking. I would not risk making this assertion as general as does Meringer, using the term nobody, but the emotional trace which clings to the demonstration of the mistake, which manifestly belongs to the nature of shame, has its significance it may be classed with the anger displayed at the inability to recall a forgotten name and with the surprise at the tenaciousness of an apparently indifferent memory and it invariably points to the participation of a motive in the formation of the disturbance the distorting of names amounts to an insult when done intentionally and could have the same significance in a whole series of cases where it appears as unintentional speech blunders the person who, according to Meyer's report, once said Freuder instead of Freud, because shortly before he pronounced the name Brewer, and who at another time spoke of Frewer-Brudian method, was certainly not particularly enthusiastic over this method. Later, under the mistakes in writing, I shall report a case of name disfigurement, which certainly admits of no other explanation. As a disturbing element in these cases, there is an intermingling of a criticism which must be omitted, because at the time being it does not correspond to the intention of the speaker. Or it may be just the reverse. The substituted name or the adoption of the strange name signifies an appreciation of the same. The identification which is brought about by the mistake is equivalent to recognition which for the moment must remain in the background. An experience of this kind from the school days is related by Dr. Ferenzi. While in my first year at college, I was obliged to recite a poem before the whole class. It was the first experience of the kind in my life, but I was well prepared. As soon as I began my recitation, I was dismayed at being disturbed by an outburst of laughter. The professor later explained to me this strange reception. I started by giving the title, From the Distance, which was correct, but instead of giving the name of the real author, I mentioned my own. The name of the poet is Alexander Petofi. The identity of the first name with my own favored the interchange of names, but the real reason was surely the fact that I identified myself at that time with the celebrated poet-hero. Even consciously I entertained for him a love and respect which verged on adoration. The whole ambition complex hides itself under this faulty action. A similar identification was reported to me concerning a young physician who timidly and reverently introduced himself to the celebrated Virchow with the following words, I am Dr. Virchow. The surprised professor turned to him and asked, Is your name also Virchow? I do not know how the ambitious young man justified his speech blunder, whether he thought of the charming excuse that he imagined himself so insignificant next to the big man that his own name slipped from him, or whether he had the courage to admit that he hoped that he too would some day be as great as the man Virchow, and that the professor should therefore not treat him in too disparaging a manner. 
one or both of these thoughts may have put the young man in an embarrassing position during the introduction owing to very personal motives i must leave it undecided whether a similar interpretation may also apply in the case to be cited at the international congress in amsterdam in nineteen o seven my theories of hysteria were the subject of a lively discussion one of my most violent opponents in his diatribe against me repeatedly made mistakes in speech in such a manner that he put himself in my place and spoke in my name he said for example brewer and i as is well known have demonstrated etc etc when he wished to say brewer and freud the name of this opponent does not show the slightest sound similarity to my own from this example as well as from other cases of interchanging names in speech blunders we are reminded of the fact that the speech blunder can fully forego the facility afforded to it through similar sounds and can achieve its purpose if only supported in content by concealed relations in other and more significant cases it is a self-criticism an internal contradiction against one's own utterance which causes the speech blunder and even forces a contrasting substitution for the one intended we then observe with surprise how the wording of an assertion removes the purpose of the same and how the error in speech lays bare the inner dishonesty here the lapsus linguae becomes a mimicking form of expression often indeed for the expression of what one does not wish to say it is thus a means of self-betrayal brill relates i had recently been consulted by a woman who showed many paranoid trends and as she had no relatives who could cooperate with me i urged her to enter a state hospital as a voluntary patient she was quite willing to do so but on the following day she told me that her friends with whom she leased an apartment objected to her going to a hospital as it would interfere with their plans and so on i lost patience and said there is no use listening to your friends who know nothing about your mental condition you are quite incompetent to take care of your own affairs i meant to say competent here the lapsus linguae expressed my true opinion favored by chance the speech material often gives origin to examples of speech blunders which serve to bring about an overwhelming revelation of a full comic effect as shown by the following examples reported by brill a wealthy but not very generous host invited his friends for an evening dance everything went well until about eleven thirty p m when there was an intermission presumably for supper to the great disappointment of most of the guests there was no supper instead they were regaled with thin sandwiches and lemonade as it was close to election day the conversation centered on the different candidates and as the discussion grew warmer one of the guests an ardent admirer of the progressive party candidate remarked to the host you may say what you please about teddy but there is one thing that can always be relied upon he always gives you a square meal wishing to say square deal the assembled guests burst into a roar of laughter to the great embarrassment of the speaker and the host who fully understood each other while writing a prescription for a woman who was especially weighed down by the financial burden of the treatment i was interested to hear her say suddenly please do not give me big bills because i cannot swallow them of course she meant to say pills the following example illustrates a rather serious case of self-betrayal through a mistake in talking some accessory details justify full reproduction as first printed by dr a a brill 
while walking one night with dr frink we accidentally met a colleague dr p whom i had not seen for years and of whose private life i knew nothing we were naturally very pleased to meet again and on my invitation he accompanied us to a cafe where we spent about two hours in pleasant conversation to my question as to whether he was married he gave a negative answer and added why should a man like me marry on leaving the cafe he suddenly turned to me and said i should like to know what you would do in a case like this i know a nurse who was named as co-respondent in a divorce case the wife sued the husband for divorce and named her as co-respondent and he got the divorce i interrupted him saying you mean she got the divorce he immediately corrected himself saying yes she got the divorce and continued to tell how the excitement of the trial had affected this nurse to such an extent that she became nervous and took to drink he wanted me to advise him how to treat her as soon as i had corrected his mistake i asked him to explain it but as is usually the case he was surprised at my question he wanted to know whether a person had no right to make mistakes in talking i explained to him that there is a reason for every mistake and that if he had not told me that he was unmarried i would say that he was the hero of the divorce case in question and that the mistake showed that he wished he had obtained the divorce instead of his wife so as not to be obliged to pay alimony and to be permitted to marry again in new york state he stoutly denied my interpretation but his emotional agitation followed by loud laughter only strengthened my suspicions to my appeal that he should tell the truth for science's sake he said unless you wish me to lie you must believe that i was never married and hence your psychoanalytic interpretation is all wrong he however added that it was dangerous to be with a person who paid attention to such little things then he suddenly remembered that he had another appointment and left us both dr frink and i were convinced that the interpretation of his lapsus linguae was correct and i decided to corroborate or disprove it by further investigation the next day i found a neighbor an old friend of dr p who confirmed my interpretation in every particular the divorce was granted to dr p s wife a few weeks before and a nurse was named as co-respondent a few weeks later i met dr p and he told me that he was thoroughly convinced of the freudian mechanisms the self-betrayal is just as plain in the following case reported by otto rank a father who was devoid of all patriotic feeling and desirous of educating his children to be just as free from this superfluous sentiment reproached his sons for participating in a patriotic demonstration and rejected their reference to a similar behavior of their uncle with these words you are not obliged to imitate him why he is an idiot the astonished features of the children at their father's unusual tone aroused him to the fact that he had made a mistake and he remarked apologetically of course i wish to say patriot when such a speech blunder occurs in a serious squabble and reverses the intended meaning of one of the disputants it at once puts him at a disadvantage with his adversary a disadvantage which the latter seldom fails to utilize this clearly shows that although people are unwilling to accept the theory of my conception and are not inclined to forego the convenience that is connected with the tolerance of a faulty action they nevertheless interpret speech blunders and other faulty acts in a manner similar to the one presented in this book 
the merriment and derision which are sure to be evoked at the decisive moment through such linguistic mistakes speak conclusively against the generally accepted convention that such a speech blunder is a lapsus linguae and psychologically of no importance it was no less a man than the german chancellor who endeavored to save the situation through such a protest when the wording of his defense of his emperor november nineteen o seven turned into the opposite through speech blunder concerning the present a new epoch of emperor wilhelm ii i can only repeat what i said a year ago that it would be unfair and unjust to speak of a coterie of responsible advisers around our emperor loud calls irresponsible to speak of irresponsible advisers pardon the lapsus linguae a nice example of speech blunder which aims not so much at the betrayal of the speaker as at the enlightenment of the listener outside the scene is found in wallenstein Pocolomini, act one scene five and shows us that the poet who here uses this means is well versed in the mechanism and intent of speech blunders in the preceding scene max Pocolomini was passionately in favor of the ducal party and was enthusiastic about the blessings of the peace which became known to him in the course of a journey while accompanying wallenstein's daughter to the encampment he leaves his father and the court ambassador questenberg in great consternation the scene proceeds as follows questenberg woe unto us are matters thus friends should we allow him to go there with the false opinion and not recall him at once in order to open his eyes instantly octavio rousing himself from profound meditation he has already opened mine and i see more than pleases me questenberg what is it friend octavio a curse on that journey questenberg why what is it octavio come i must immediately follow the unlucky trail must see with my own eyes come wishes to lead him away questenberg what is the matter where octavio urging to her questenberg to octavio corrects himself to the duke let us go the slight speech blunder to her in place of to him is meant to betray to us the fact that the father has seen through his son's motive for espousing the other cause while the courtier complains that he speaks to him altogether in riddles another example wherein a poet makes use of a speech blunder was discovered by otto rank in shakespeare i quote rank's report from zentroblatt for psychoanalyse one three a poetic speech blunder very delicately motivated and technically remarkably utilized which like the one pointed out by freud in wallenstein not only shows that poets know the mechanism and sense of this error but also presupposes an understanding of it on the part of the hearer can be found in shakespeare's merchant of venice act three scene two by the will of her fathers portia was bound to select a husband through a lottery she escaped all her distasteful suitors by lucky chance when she finally found in bosanio the suitor after her own heart she had cause to fear lest he too should draw the unlucky lottery in the scene she would like to tell him that even if he chose the wrong casket he might nevertheless be sure of love but she is hampered by her vow in this mental conflict the poet uses these words in her mouth which were directed to the welcome suitor there is something tells me but it is not love i would not lose you 
and you know yourself hate counsels not in such a quality but lest you should not understand me well and yet a maiden hath no tongue but thought i would detain you here some month or two before you venture for me i could teach you how to choose right but then i am forsworn so will i never be so may you miss me but if you do you'll make me wish a sin that i had been forsworn beshrew your eyes they have overlooked me and divided me one half of me is yours the other half yours mine own i would say but if mine then yours and so all yours just the very thing which she would like to hint to him gently because really she would keep it from him namely that even before the choice she is wholly his that she loves him the poet with admirable psychologic sensitiveness allows to come to the surface in the speech blunder it is through this artifice that he manages to allay the intolerable uncertainty of the lover as well as the like tension of the hearer concerning the outcome of the choice the interest merited by the confirmation of our conception of speech blunders through the great poets justifies the citation of a third example which was reported by dr e jones our great novelist george meredith in his masterpiece the egoist shows an even finer understanding of the mechanism the plot of the novel is shortly as follows sir willoughby patterne an aristocrat greatly admired by his circle becomes engaged to miss constantia durham she discovers in him an intense egoism which he skilfully conceals from the world and to escape the marriage she elopes with a captain oxford some years later patterne becomes engaged to a miss clara middleton and most of the book is taken up with a detailed description of the conflict that arises in her mind on also discovering his egotism external circumstances and her conception of honor hold her to her pledge while he becomes more and more distasteful in her eyes she partly confided in her cousin and secretary vernon whitford the man whom she ultimately marries but from a mixture of motives he stands aloof in the soliloquy clara speaks as follows if some noble gentleman could see me as i am and not disdain to aid me oh to be caught out of this prison of thorns and brambles i cannot tear my own way out i am a coward a beckoning of a finger would change me i believe i could fly bleeding and through hootings to a comrade constantia met a soldier perhaps she prayed and her prayer was answered she did ill but oh how i love her for it his name was harry oxford she did not waver she cut the links she signed herself over oh brave girl what do you think of me but i have no harry whitford i am alone the sudden consciousness that she had put another name for oxford struck her a buffet drowning her in crimson the fact that both men's names end in ford evidently renders the confounding of them more easy and would by many be regarded as an adequate cause for this but the real underlying motive for it is plainly indicated by the author in another passage the same lapsus occurs and is followed by a hesitation and change of subject that one is familiar with in psychoanalysis when a half-conscious complex is touched sir willoughby patronizingly says to whitford false alarm the resolution to do anything unaccustomed is quite beyond poor old vernon clara replies but if mr oxford whitford your swans coming sailing up the lake how beautiful they are when they are indignant 
I was going to ask you, surely men witnessing a marked admiration for someone else will naturally be discouraged. Sir Willoughby stiffened with sudden enlightenment. In still another passage, Clara, by another lapsus, betrays her secret wish that she was on a more intimate footing with Vernon Whitford. Speaking to a boy friend, she says, Tell Mr. Vernon, tell Mr. Whitford. The conception of speech blunders here defended can be readily verified in the smallest details. I have been able to demonstrate repeatedly that the most insignificant and most natural cases of speech blunders have their good sense, and admit of the same interpretation as the most striking examples. A patient who, contrary to my wishes, but with firm personal motives, decided upon a short trip to Budapest, justified herself by saying that she was going for only three days, but she blundered, said only three weeks. She betrayed her secret feeling that, to spite me, she preferred spending three weeks to three days in that society which I considered unfit for her. One evening, wishing to excuse myself for not having called for my wife at the theatre, I said, I was at the theatre at ten minutes after ten. I was corrected. You mean to say ten o'clock. Naturally, I wanted to say before ten. After ten would certainly be no excuse. I had been told that the theater program read, finished before ten o'clock. When we arrived at the theater, I found the foyer dark and the theater empty. Evidently, the performance was over earlier, and my wife did not wait for me. When I looked at the clock, it still wanted five minutes to ten. I determined to make my case more favorable at home, and say that it was ten minutes to ten. Unfortunately, the speech blunder spoiled the intent and laid bare my dishonesty, in which I acknowledged more than there really was to confess. This leads to those speech disturbances which can no longer be described as speech blunders, for they do not injure the individual word, but affect the rhythm and execution of the entire speech, as, for example, the stammering and stuttering of embarrassment. But here, as in the former cases, it is the inner conflict that is betrayed to us through the disturbance in speech. I really do not believe that anyone will make mistakes in talking in an audience with His Majesty, in a serious love declaration, or in defending one's name and honor before a jury. In short, people make no mistakes when they are all there, as the saying goes. Even in criticizing an author's style, we are allowed and accustomed to follow the principle of explanation, which we cannot miss in the origin of a single speech blunder. A clear and unequivocal manner of writing shows us that here the author is in harmony with himself, but where we find a forced and involved expression aiming at more than one target, as appropriately expressed, we can thereby recognize the participation of an unfinished and complicated thought, or we can hear through it the stifled voice of the author's self-criticism. End of section 5